Our first lesson this evening is from 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, sent, Elkanah her husband said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy ministered to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. O Lord, have mercy on us. The second lesson is from Luke chapter 1. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. 
For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. O Lord, have mercy on us. In many and various ways, God spoke to his people of old by the prophets. During the Reformation 500 years ago, it wasn't just the doctrine of the church that was reformed. It wasn't just the church's polity, its organizational structure, but also her worship changed a lot in that time. Of course, that reformation of worship was just as needed as all the rest. Lots of bad things had been caked on to the Christian liturgy, asking the saints, according to their good merits and works, to intercede for us before God, pleading them and their righteousness over and against Jesus Christ and his righteousness was part and parcel to the mass of Christian worship. Well, of course, that was wrong, and people realized it in Luther's day, and they corrected, but some of them, of course, overcorrected. They were so wary of having anything a part of Christian worship become a part of Christian worship that not be in accord with God's will, that they had very constricting and narrow rules. Some people went off on the Protestant side of saying, if it's not a psalm, one of the 150 psalms from the Old Testament, it has no place being said or sung in Christian worship. Some even went so far as to say, well, instruments are nowhere commanded to be part of New Testament worship. So they gutted churches of their organs and stringed instruments and brass and all the rest and sang only a cappella. Lutherans, though, of course, were a little more reasonable in the approach. We got rid of the bad stuff, but we kept the stuff that was okay. We took the middle way. We threw out the bathwater, but we made sure to snatch the baby out and keep the baby with us before we did. Our service, our Lutheran worship, is a purified form of the ancient form of Christian worship, the structure of the divine service. And, of course, it is all biblical. If you open up your hymnals, and I think it's printed in the bulletin service as well, you will see next to each part the scripture reference for where it is taken from the Bible so that we can see we are not inventing things to praise our God on our own, but we are taking his words and are sure that it is accord with true praise. True praise, which is namely speaking back to God that which is, a tr which is true about him and his person and that which is true about what he has done. Well, this Advent, we are taking a look at a few biblical parts of our liturgy, things that have come specifically from the Gospel of Luke, 
Words spoken by saints in the New Testament that have now become part of the saints of the New Testament after Pentecost as we sing them in various parts of our liturgy. Tonight we are looking at Mary and her Magnificat, her song. Now we all know that all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each one starts out a little differently from the other. Talking, of course, about the same event. Each one, though, is telling it with the details that he thought and according to the Holy Spirit, were important to include. But Luke, he was particularly detailed-oriented, wasn't he? He got most of the backstory in his account, even going so far back, not just with the birth of Jesus, but John the Baptist as well. But after that, he tells the story about when Angel, the angel Gabriel, visited this young maiden, Mary, in the small Galilean town of Nazareth, and he tells her, You have found favor with God. Do not fear. God is favored toward you. And he proceeded to prophesy to her that she would conceive and bear a son who would be called the son of the Most High God. That son that she would conceive would sit on the throne of David and he would rule over Jacob's house forever. You couldn't be clear if you were trying to paint a picture for someone that the son that was to be born was the Christ, the promised seed of the woman, the promised seed of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, and all the rest, that Jesus, who would be born to her, would be the Christ. Now, after asking the angel, of course, how is this going to be, since I am a virgin and I have known no man, he told her, of course, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will conceive And after being told of Elizabeth, her cousin's pregnancy, miraculous as it was for her old age and why that was happening, she said her amen to the angel. Let it be for me according to your word. I believe. Amen. All of this, we are told in Luke, happened in the sixth month. Not of the year, but the sixth month of what had been previously relayed to the listeners of Luke, that of Luther, Luther's, that of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Six months in, Mary was told this, and she gets up, and then she goes to the hill country of Judea to find her cousin Elizabeth. And she is greeted there by her cousin Elizabeth, but we know well, if we remember, not just Elizabeth, but John the Baptist himself in Elizabeth's womb. At the sound of Mary, the mother of God's voice, John the Baptist starts kicking something fierce, adding his own greeting to the Christ who he would go on to prepare the way for. And upon Elizabeth's blessing of Mary and her good words of greeting to her and relaying to her about John the Baptist's excitement in the womb, Mary then responds with the words we are looking at tonight, the words of the Magnificat, which is, of course, Latin for magnifies. That's where we get the name from. She responds with what we now know as Mary's song. Now, if you were paying attention to that first reading, you'll notice that there's kind of an echo here. You see, Mary's words, when she greets and is greeted by Elizabeth, aren't the first sorts of words of this sort that were spoken in the Bible. Of course, Hannah, we know, was a barren woman in the Old Testament, the beginning of 1 Samuel, who had no children and would go and pray and pray for children And then finally one day, Eli told her her prayer would be answered. She would be blessed with a child from the Lord. And then our reading covered tonight. After the prayer is answered, she comes back, presents the child, and she offers 
her song of glory and praise to the God who could do such wonderful, generous, and miraculous things. And as the Lord showed grace and a gift, gave her the gift that she had wanted so much, the Lord was praised by Hannah by being acknowledged for who he was and what he had done for her. So as Hannah had done it in the Old Testament, now it was Mary in the New Testament to echo the same sentiments, to offer the same praise and glory to God. God is her Savior, she says. God is the one who delivers. That's how she starts her hymn of praise. He looked with favor on her humbles, his humble servant, her of no estate, no remark, no renown. He picked her to bear not just the Messiah, but the Messiah who would be God himself. And because of this, and she is certainly right, she is called blessed by all the church. She is the blessed mother of our Lord. Now when you were listening to her words, not my paraphrase, but her words themselves, did you notice something in them? Did you notice what she's not doing with her words? Her words of praise are not like so many songs that our contemporary that talk more about the praiser and himself and his feelings than about God and what God has done. She doesn't focus on the emotion that she has, good and fine as it is, good to have joy, is it not? But that's not what she's praising God for, saying, God, I feel so wonderful, God, I am just on cloud nine. No, what she does is she talks to God about God. She talks to God in her Magnificat about what God has done for her, what God has done for the people of Israel, what God has done for the world. You see, her scope is about God. It's not limited to herself. And so she goes on and she continues to exalt the Lord's mercy towards all, all, she says, who fear him. God is merciful to those who, in our language, fear love and trust in him above all things. And for that reason, is he not to be praised? Is he not to be given explicit and specific credit by all of us who know of his wondrous deeds? We who know the gospel in its fullness and how it played out, we certainly do. And why should not also the mother of God offer her praise for the same? And then continuing, previewing what our Lord would say as he grew up and spoke in the Beatitudes, she says, God does this wonderful thing in that he humbles the proud and he exalts the lowly. The hungry, he gives food. The rich and the full, he sends empty away. He makes sure those that are in need are provided for and those who have no need and see no need for God are disregarded in their unrepentance. And to cap it off, after saying all of these things, she praises God by talking about his promises, promises being kept. We think about it between people. You can give praise people for a lot of things, things that they do, skills that they have, accomplishments that they've made. But I think one of the highest praises you can give somebody is to say, you are a man of your word. You are a woman of your word. When you say something, you will do it. I trust you. That sort of praise gets around. That sort of thing buttresses a reputation. And Mary does it with God Almighty in heaven. You made a promise. You said you would help Israel through the seed of Abraham forever. And you are delivering on it. 
She said what could, really, you could think, if you just think about the whole Bible in context, she said exactly what needed to be said in that moment. The angel of the Lord came to her and said, you're going to bear the one that's going to undo sin, death, and the devil. And she's like, God's keeping his promise. He promised he would, and now he's doing it. Alleluia. And so she does. The Magnificat, the song that we're talking about tonight, it is kind of unfamiliar to us, I think, to a degree, at least compared with a couple of the other ones we're going to look at in the next Wednesday evening services. It's in part because even though it's in the liturgy, this is not in the liturgy that we do every week, right? It's in Vespers, we do in Lent, an evening prayer, which we are now doing in Advent. After the sermon's done, the pastor leaves the pulpit, the congregation rises and sings this song, and it has for, believe it or not, about 1,500 years, maybe 1,600 years, quite a while. But for a long time, as Christians have ended their day in worship, the monks for a while, and now the whole church, laity and pastors alike, we take the time in our prayer to pray to God in the words of Mary after she found out she was to bear the Lord's Christ. It might be unfamiliar, but it's not unimportant. And we know about it, and we learn about it because it is spoken by the mother of our Lord, and secondly, because it is applicable to us as Christians for who we are. These words are just as much ours and they should be sung and said and prayed just as much by us as they were by her because they apply to us just as much. We are lowly and exalted and what has God done in Jesus Christ? We are lowly and poor and forlorn. He has exalted us, lifted us up, brought us up to a higher place where we are not worthy to be. We have been shown, like Mary, the power, the favor, the grace, and the love of God Almighty in and through Jesus Christ. And with Mary, we are beneficiaries of God's wonderful promise of salvation, free and full for all who believe. She received it, and we do too. And so tonight, and every other night that we have evening prayer or vespers, except for Advent, because it changes for according to what I'm talking about, let us join the song of praise, praising God for taking us poor lowly sinners and giving us the gift of his dear son, Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs> 